Thank you for joining us for the 539 Church Podcast. 539 Church is a new church in Goodyear Heights, Ohio, that's inviting friends into family. If you live in the Northeast Ohio area, we'd love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. For more information about us, including our service times and live stream information, check out the links in our show notes or visit us online at 539.church. That's F-I-V-E 39.church. Please take a moment to subscribe and share this podcast with a friend. You can go ahead and grab a seat. Turn to your neighbor behind you and tell them you sang very well, unless they didn't, unless they didn't. Uh, behind me, I had one singing good and the other did not. So either way, I won't point, won't point any fingers. So uh, if you're new here, my name is Mike and uh, I serve as the pastor. I want to thank you for coming here today. Uh, look at you guys all here at church in summertime. Look at this. Still summer. Some of you hanging on. I appreciate it. Glad you're here. If you have your Bible, would you grab that and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12? Uh, You're going to need that book, and then also Romans 12. Uh, Because of the nature of today, uh, I'll be bouncing around a little bit. And uh, we're in this series called More To It, because in Acts chapter 5, our church's name, it says, if it is of God, you won't be able to stop it. And we've said, hey, um, there is more to it that kind of you see. Uh, There's more to the services, there's more to teams and serve team fairs, more to baptisms than you see, all this stuff. Uh, How about this? We have nine people signed up for baptism right now uh, for September 17th. So um, I don't know what that means uh, coming up, but we're we're here for it. So uh, we're saying, hey, there's more to it. And today uh, I've titled this message, Army Over Audience. And and as you're turning there uh, in your Bible, do you know anybody who is like super anti-commitment. Raise your hand. If you know anyone, they just dread commitment. Uh, Some of you are thinking of your kids, Gen Z, millennials, like we're just anti-commitment or whatever. Um, There's friends of mine, like I'll try to schedule something far out. It'll be like, hey, are you free October 5th? And they'll be like, I don't know, one of my kids might be sick, man. And I'm like, bro, I don't remember a time when my kids were not sick. So you kind of got to just book it or whatever. So, um, or when I was dating my wife, um, we were dating. She was down in Florida. I went down to visit her. And when I went down to visit her, we were pretty serious at the time. And just because uh, I am the way I am, I like to stir the pot just a hair. Um, and so I started having a conversation with her. And I said, hey, would you be um, interested in moving to Ohio uh, before we get engaged just to see how it all works? You know, kind of just to see uh, if you like it there and we like you and you can stay with my sister and all this other stuff. And uh, I thought this was a great idea. You know, I said, hey, you can, you can do this. Now, um, she didn't know this at the time, but I had a ring already, already in my back pocket for the following day. So I was just messing with her, right? And as I'm having this conversation, I was like, would you like to, to move there? And she looked at me and said, you got to be kidding me, right? No rock, no what? Lock. Yeah, she wanted me to, I wanted her to move. And she said, I'm not going anywhere unless I see a ring, right? Props to her, right, for standing her ground. And I was like, what? You know, and the next day I'm down on a knee. So um, sometimes in our day and in our culture, we live in an anti-commitment culture. We're going to be talking about that a lot today. Uh, but as, as we are, there is, there is something that we are trying to do here. And what I'm going to do today uh, last week was about a heart for the harvest. Uh, this week is going to be about, hey, I'm going to ask a lot of you to pray and to consider going from kind of, hey, I've been on the fence uh, to really joining this thing next week. And so I'm going to ask you to pray and seek the Lord, see what uh, God wants you to do. And I'll start off with this this morning, that um, a movement from God, if, if God is going to move in and through us, um, it has less to do with the amount of people 
and more to do with the commitment and passion of his people. It's less to do with how many, how much, and it is more to do with, hey, um, there's a few of us, there's a handful of us, and we want to chase after the Lord. And even this, commitment um, doesn't necessarily mean you're close to God. Um, The most committed people in Jesus's day were actually the furthest from him in their hearts. That's why I'm going to say, hey, commitment and passion. So what we've said is this, hey, over the next handful of weeks, um, we're going to cast vision and say, hey, over the next handful of years, we're going to ramp up community outreach. We're going to ramp up evangelism training, even though it's the least popular thing to do. We're just going to keep doing it. Um, we're going to invest in next generation uh, because 75% of people accept Christ before 18. And then the other 22% is before you're 30. And then after 30, it's just the remaining uh, stats there. So we'd say, hey, we want to invest in all that. We'd say, hey, God, Uh, What does it look like over the next handful of years to prepare us uh, to plant a church in and through our day? What would it look like? So so really, we've said this. Hey, we want to be an army, um, not just an audience. Not just an audience, because um, there are times you need to be in audience mode. Um, There's a reason why most of us, or some of us, like church from a distance, like it from a distance. There was a season of my life when I was 17 uh, to 20, I enjoyed church from a distance and I needed, needed to be in that season. It was necessary. It was a timeline that God had me on. Uh, But really, where we are today, um, it took an army of people who said, hey, I'm not just gonna watch on the sidelines. I'm going to jump in. And I got a few pictures again this week, if you'd pull up the first uh, slide for me. Um, This is our auditorium uh, around two years ago. Again, um, up here is about 100 people. And we just said, hey, they all said, hey, we're going to give, we're going to serve, we're going to share, participate, whatever the case is. Uh, Down here in this picture that you can't see very well here was our first night of worship. Uh, You can go to the next slide. Um, this is here some building reno stuff. Uh, we actually renovated the entire building. It was at, it gu- at its guts uh, two months before we even had a preview service. And it was the most scary, risky thing of all time. Why? Because we didn't have a church. We didn't, we didn't have anybody. We were like, hey, this is what we're going to do. Then uh, when you start doing renovations in, 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 in an older building, um, half the time, like, you'll talk to a construction guy, and he's like, hey, I know you're going to hate to hear this, but uh, we're going to need like three more months and a lot more money and all this stuff. So that's kind of what happened in, in all this. So this was the, the auditorium we're in, the building. Right here, some of you, you were in this room writing down names of people uh, who needed to know Christ or who need to. Before we put the carpet down, right, we wrote their names down and we prayed and asked the Lord. Uh, next, next slide. And then uh, this is preview service time. This is last August right here. This is our first baptism. A little Vivian in there got baptized in our first baptism. And, and here's why I show these pictures. It's important to see, hey, it took an army of people who were committed and who had passion and had faith before they could actually see anything. And that's what I believe it's going to take for us to keep going in the direction that God wants us to go. Now, as we talk about this day, I want to be a little cautious because just because a lot of us in the room, I would say every single one of us, you have what we would call church hurt, meaning a pastor has said something to you, a church has done something to you, something has happened along the way that has caused you to be hurt. 
And I don't want to take that lightly in any way. As, I, as I'm calling people to commit, um, I am fully aware in this room that you have stories, you have a history, you have a current situation where you said, hey, I'm not jumping on anything right now. I'm here to sit, I'm here to take it all in, and I want you to know I affirm that, I know that's a season, but it's not everybody right now, but there are some of you. Now, with a question, what is the most challenging part about church? What's the most challenging part about church? If I were to ask you the question, um, would you say it's the chairs? Are those chairs comfy enough? Give me a nod if they're comfy enough. Is it the most challenging part? Is it the music or is it too loud? Is it not loud enough? Is it the sermons? Are they long enough? Are they too short, right? Are the donuts too sweet, not sweet enough? Is it the coffee? Is it the parking lot? Is it the weather, right? What if you got to come to church in the rain, right? Uh, What is the most challenging part about church? It is the what? People. Is it not? It's us in the room, right? That chair's never offended you. That speaker's never offended. Well, maybe it has, depending on the volume of it. There's been things uh, that have offended you in church, and it has always been the people, always. Now, here's why this is a beautiful, beautiful mess in church. And a lot of us like church from, like I've said, a distance. Jesus, here's the sweet thing. He loves the person that you tolerate the person that you stiff arm, the person you avoid with the same heart and affection he loves you. Isn't that awesome? Like the person you can't stand, the person you're kind of like, what service do they go to? Let's avoid them. That person, God has a heart for them. And and I'll say it this way as we jump in. You can't love Jesus and only tolerate who he died for. It is an impossible variable for you to say, man, I just love Jesus. As we just sang, Hey, Jesus, we what? Love you with a love that surpasses knowledge. And Jesus comes and he says, hey, here's here's my plan. Here's my plan. I'm gonna die on the cross. I'm gonna die for an imperfect people, a bunch of messy, smelly breath, bad past, mistakes. I'm gonna die for all of them. And we would just say, hey, I'm only for the rest of my life gonna stand at a distance to those people the very people that you and I are tempted just to tolerate, just just to watch from afar, those are the people that God has a heart for, you and I. Make no mistake, as I jump into this, the local church, this, the ecclesia, the called out ones, is his plan A to reach the world. And he has no plan B. There is no plan B. Jesus to reach Goodyear Heights, to reach Akron, to reach the world is the local church. And he doesn't have like a backup one. Like, hey, if you guys don't get it, I'll go get someone smarter and better and more skilled with more money. He says, no, hey, figure it out in the midst of all of you. So with that said, we're gonna jump in. My message has two different parts today. The first one is this. I'm gonna talk about biblical assumptions in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12. If you have your Bible, that's where we're gonna be. Um, what, what I'm doing today is if you desire to be a member at 539, uh, welcome to our class. This is our class. Uh, this will be the easiest time uh, to become a member uh, at 539. I'll explain that at the end, but um, he, here's what's important. Um, there are two biblical assumptions uh, when we come to the Bible. And what this means is this. There are some things Um, that need to be said and some things that don't need to be said because they would be assumed Um, in in our culture today. I would not walk up to some of you and say, hey, do you have a phone? I would say, give me your what? Number. 
because I assume, hey, it's culturally the norm, you have a phone. If I were to say, I wouldn't need to ask you, where's the best place to get ice cream? Um, Because the biblical assumption is handles, right? And you would know that, right? I wouldn't need to ask, because it's just assumed. Some of you can argue with me afterwards. But um, here's what the Apostle Paul is going to do. He's going to have an assumption. He doesn't need to say, become a member at a church. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, go to church, Nowhere in the Bible does it say, read your Bible. Some of you are like, yes. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't even say tithe or be generous with this amount of percent because here's what happens. There's an assumption. There's an assumption meaning, hey, if you followed Jesus in a certain town, you were a part of them. You were, you were with them. So with all that said, that's a lot. We got a lot to cover today. Biblical assumption number one is to belong to the global church, the global church. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 13, it says this, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Here's what he is teaching here. When you become a follower of Jesus, there is what's called a spiritual baptism. It is a one-time event that when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are baptized into what we would call the global or the capital C church. In Ephesians chapter 1 and in Colossians 1, the Bible says Jesus is head of the church. He is the chief shepherd. All of anyone who preaches Jesus and the Bible, uh, we would fall under what is called the global church. Every single person who follows Jesus, any, anyone in the world, we are in the global church. He's saying, hey, here's what he says. So it is with Christ. There are many members and there's one body. We were baptized into how many bodies? One, meaning, hey, this is the, the biblical assumption that you would receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you've not made that decision today, that is the most important decision in your your entire life. Every wedding I've ever done, I sit there and I look at them and I say, hey, this is not the most important decision you make. This is the second most important decision you make is who you marry. Who you follow will determine where you go in this life and the next. Jesus does this. He, He dies on the cross, he rises from the dead, and then he leaves, right? He takes off and he does this. He leaves us with his mission to be his hands and feet in the world today. That we are the global church. We are the representation of Jesus's body. That he left, he left, but he doesn't leave the world hopeless and abandoned. He says, hey, I'm gonna leave my people. I'm gonna make my spirit indwell them and they will carry out the very mission I have for them today. Now, here's what's important. We're, the, we're supporting cast of the story. We're not the story. In Acts 5.39, I'm gonna preach on it a little bit next week. Um, The goal is not to see 5.39 get as big as possible. I have no ambitions for that, like anywhere. Uh, The goal is not for us to be uh, something great. It's actually to be forgotten in the grand scheme of this story. Every church that preaches Jesus has this mission from him. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I've commanded you. So the the command is this, any church that preaches Christ, any church that preaches the word of God, that it would expand and grow in every type of way. Biblical assumption number one is to belong to the global church. Number two, 
biblical assumption is to belong to the local church. It says in Romans chapter 12, verses four and five, as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And then I I give a little reference down there to 1 Corinthians 12. I'd encourage you to read uh, those verses. And here's how Here's how this plays out. Like I said, uh, the Apostle Paul, he would write a letter to a local church. He would write a letter to a local church. In Philippians chapter one, verse five, he says, thank you for your partnership in the gospel. Meaning, hey, they're partnering with him. They're members of Christ's body in this local context. He says this, hey, there's one body, but there are many members that individually you play a part. And a lot of times the biggest uh, thing when we talk about this in church, some of you think that because you don't have a public role, you can't really play a role because you can't teach or sing or, or do any of that. You're like, well, I, I don't have a part in the body. In 1 Corinthians 12, what, he, he talks about this. Hey, just as a body needs a foot, like, hey, if you're deficient, uh, you won't function the way that God has assigned you to. Hey, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. And the eye can't say to the ear, I don't need you. Here's here's what he's saying this. Hey, the body needs every member working together. And God has assigned, hey, where do you play your part? It says in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 20, it says this, God has assigned each one, not that we are insufficient, meaning, hey, regardless of the role that you play, God is calling us and he wants to use us. This is true about 539. This is true about every local church in the world right now. We will not function the way we can or operate the way we need to until every member in the body is using their gift in their assigned role. We'll always have a limp. We'll always be missing something. We'll always be missing off beat until everybody says, hey, how can I play a part of this and how can I serve in and through this way? Now, here's what's true. Most of you, most of you, and here's how I'll say, most of you choose to come here, okay? Um, most of you, I'd say 99%. Uh, the reason I say that is because when uh, my father invites someone and someone will come up to me and say, hey, your dad invited me, I'll have to ask, did he make you come or did you choose to come? So either way, uh, most of you decide to come here. Uh, and here's what happens. Every person who comes to 539, uh, we are open-handed. Every person. No one belongs to us. No one has obligations to us. And here's what's true when we start talking about local church. While you're here, we have a biblical assumption to care for the spiritual growth of your soul. That's just a mandate from God that he has for us. And here's what I wanna talk about first. There are great reasons to leave a church, are there not? There are great reasons to leave a church. Uh, Some of it is because of teaching, right? There's some things that are being taught that are not from the book. It gets a little weird really fast and ends up being the guy heard from God and all that stuff, right? You've been there, done that. Um, sometimes there's high-handed sin um, and you need to go and it's not a good fit. Um, sometimes there's, I'd call it funny with the money. There's no accountability. You're asking, hey, what happened and all that stuff. Some of you came from that, I'm fully aware. And some, some people, you just move like geographically, Um, right? You've moved locations and you're no longer there. There are great reasons to leave a church. Uh, You don't buy into the mission and vision. You don't agree doctrinally. Um, There are times people will will talk to me about their church, where they're at, and I'm not trying to get them to come here. I'll just say, hey, I don't know why you're there. You need to go where you trust the leadership. 
you believe the word of God is taught and they can be accountable for you and you accountable to them. There's great reasons to leave a church. But with that said, this is also true. The scriptures assume you still belong to an imperfect one. It has an assumption, right? There is no perfect church on the planet, amen? It was perfect until I got here this morning, right? That if you're looking for one, you just keep shopping. You just keep going, you keep shopping. The scriptures still assume that you would be a part of a body, a local church that you can serve, that you can be a part of, that you can be fed spiritually. And in turn, in turn, they can care for you and see your spiritual growth and all that needs to happen. And the hard part of this, there's so much of us, so, so many of us who've been hurt and baggage and all this stuff and it was all this and, and you've been burned out and everything else. Still with all of that, God knew, God knew 2,000 years ago when the scriptures are being written, he knew that you would still belong to one. And it really was crazy. If you go way back, right, uh, before highway, before internet and all that stuff, you, were, you lived in a town and you had like two options and you just had to pick and you had to figure it out and which one you needed to be at and which one, you couldn't just like drive an hour away. Right, I'll talk to someone, they're like, I drove 50 minutes, I'm so excited to be here. I'm like, you shouldn't do that, right? Uh, because hey, you need to be a part of one that you can be in the life and walk with them and all this. So now here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna transition. I wanna talk about a spiritual family and what this means. Um, we use this language a lot around here. Do you, do you know anybody um, that thinks you're closer than you actually are? Just raise your hand. Do you know anyone at work and anyone else? Yes, some of you like to lie. Like, you know that person just thinks you're better friends and family than they're, they're really not? Um, it was this past summer, we were at like a fair festival type thing. Um, and there was a guy that was with us and he thought we were closer than we actually were. You know, if you go to a fair, how many of you, you're eating the fair food, um, you love it. Some of you just dread it, like you won't touch it and you're a health nut and all that good stuff. Some of you, you go for the food, okay? We're there, we're eating the food and this guy walks up to me, walks up to me and he's got this bowl of food and he ate half of it. And I had the second, second conversation we had, he looked at me and he's like, hey Mike, do you wanna finish this for me? And I looked at him and I was like, in, in my head, I'm like, bro, how close do you think we actually are right now, right? I mean, this fork and everything's in it, it's a mess. And so I was like, I, I'm, I'm stuffed, man. I literally can't eat another bite. Um, and I got in the car with my wife and I was like, why is it that people wanna like share stuff like that? Like family, fine. How many of you, you won't touch something that someone else ate, right? I mean, some of you be sharing uh, sport, forks and spoons and straws. That's disgusting. That's not for me either way. Um, um, that's someone that you'd say, hey, sometimes people think you're family, but you're really not. And what does it mean at church? Um, how, do we, how do we follow that? What does this look like? So I'm gonna talk about it in two different ways. The first one is this. A spiritual family is needed, is needed for discipleship. Now, um, here, here's what's important. Discipleship is this church word that simply means this. Someone teaching you to follow Jesus and to take your next spiritual step. What is the next spiritual step you have? That's all discipleship is. It's a big church word. It means this, hey, what is my next step? What is the next step that God wants me to take? And it says this in 1 Peter 5, 1 Peter 5, 2. Shepherd, so it's speaking to pastors here, the flock of God that is among you. And so here's what's hard. He gives this command and every pastor has to ask themselves a few questions. Who is the flock? 
Who are the people that we're entrusted to? Who are the people that we would say, hey, we want to disciple them and help them take their next step? And this is true. The longer you're with a people, it's twofold. The more you know how to help and the more they know how to help you. It is the longevity and consistency and going through the highs and the lows that people can walk with you. A spiritual family does not happen. Discipleship does not happen unless you know, who am I holding myself? We'll talk about accountable to. Now, Every pastor, every single pastor asks themselves this question right here. Can I say some hard things and will you leave? Can I say some hard things? Will you stay or will you go? And here's what's true. As we talk about membership and stepping in, um, when you talk about churches that just don't have a backbone, meaning, hey, nothing hard can be said, discipleship becomes very, very shallow. And in October, man, we're, we're going we're gonna to get after it. It's going to be the hardest discussion we've ever had. October is a month, man. I mean, just, I'm going to lay the seeds now. October is going to be super serious, super heavy. It's going to be barrels of fun. Invite all your friends. So here's, here's how this happens. So what I have to say is this as a pastor. Um, hey, I have to at some point realize this. Hey, I'm going to have to answer to God. And we're gonna have to have some hard conversations because a lot of people, they'll say this, hey, I'll come to a church, I'll come to a church. Years ago, years ago, it was when you had a divorce. It was when stuff was tough with the kids. It was when someone died. That was years ago, man. Now what happens? People just look for a church that will agree with them. Just look for a church that will just agree with what everything they, right? And some of you might say, hey, Mike, if you call me out, guess what? I'm out. If you call me out, then I'm out of here. And here's what I have to say about this. Discipleship and taking our next spiritual step. The goal is we would reach someone far from Jesus. And in time and in process, we're trying to bring someone closer to Jesus and develop people who are not just consumers, but producers. And trust me, and here's how we'll end like this point right here. We're not a hotel, we're a hospital. And we want people who would say, hey, we want to get in the messiness. We want to get in the grimy stuff and say, hey, we're looking for folks who would say, hey, I want to run a hospital. And it's not just going to be consumer, everything that I want, all that I want. You'd say, hey, I've been on the fence and I'm going to make the jump because I want this next thing we're going to talk about. A spiritual family is saying yes to accountability. Man, what a tough word. What a tough word. Let me define it here quickly. Accountability is not this. It's not being a judgmental watchdog for Jesus. Like, you know those people that just carry around a Bible and they're just like, wham, you know, right when you say something wrong and they're like, you know, uh, there's things going on and they're like, hey, did you not know? Bam, it's, that's, that's not accountability. Some, some of you experience that. that, that's not a thing. Accountability is this. It is walking alongside someone. It's walking alongside someone, keeping them accountable when their heart is drifting from the word of God. Don't you have seasons and times in your life when your heart starts to drift, your mind starts to drift, things, you know, you just start to get a little lax. It's accountability, it's, it's that. And these two passages, um, Matthew 18, he gives this uh, description. Hey, if your brother sins against you, uh, you should go and talk to him if he sins against you. Not if like you don't like that he, you know, roots for a certain team, uh, but if he sins against you, you should confront him and talk to him. And if he repents and asks for forgiveness, it says you've won your brother. And if he doesn't, go get a few more people, bring them back. And it says, hey, if he doesn't even do that, tell it to the what? The church. 
Meaning, who are the people who are gonna walk with you when you get a little lax and you start to say, hey, I don't really believe the Bible anymore. I don't believe this stuff and I don't really care anymore. And, and I know this, who's gonna walk with you? And then it says in Hebrews um, 13, it says this, hey, leaders, the people who are teaching you the word of God, they care for your souls and they will give an account to God for you. Meaning, hey, what was said? How was it said? Did, did you follow up with them? Was there accountability? And accountability is just walking in this way. So just like in our context, there are certain times and seasons and reasons that some people, I'll use this to illustrate it, that can't and shouldn't drive a car. Like they just shouldn't be driving a car. They've done some things. They've, there's things that have happened said, hey, you can't drive for a season. Now, this is true about church. There's sometimes that things have been done that we'd say, hey, you can't serve in this capacity. You can't serve in this role. There's a reason and there's a time, but you are always accepted, you are always loved, and you are always cared for, and you're always welcomed, right? That that's how this plays out. Now, um, I wanna answer two questions that some of you are gonna be really bored about, but I have to. The first one is this. Um, how is 539 governed? Meaning this, how are we led? Um, we are elder, we are elder protected or elder governed. Um, we are staff led in the day to day, and we are member or congregationally affirmed. Meaning this, the elders of our church, um, they lead out in big vision and big picture. Day-to-day um, -day things, our staff leads us out in making the day-to-day -day decisions. And we're member affirmed, meaning, hey, we're not congregationally led. Um, what happens is our people who become members at 539, uh, you have three affirming responsibilities. The first one is this, anyone who gets put up to be an elder, you would vote on them and their character. Um, anyone who will become a deacon in the next two years-ish, wherever this lands, you would have voting rights to vote them as uh, becoming a deacon or an elder. And then lastly, um, if I or my position ever goes vacant, the elders would find whoever would fill that role, and then the congregation would vote to affirm who that individual is on a three-fourths vote. So, so this is how we are governed, and this is how we are led. Now, how do you become a member at 539? How do you become a member? This is giving us some official, um, it's a biblical system that I believe brings strength and accountability to a church that God establishes. So he, here's how we do this. Um, later today, you'll receive an email, and even if not, we have some, some handouts in the back. If you would say, hey, I would like to step in to become a member, meaning I'm gonna make this my home for the long haul at 539. We would ask you, hey, you'd fill this out. You're basically saying, hey, I agree to the doctrinal statement of this church. I believe what they're teaching. Hey, I agree to the mission and vision and values of this church. And, and for me, it's important as well. You're gonna be a part of the life of the church. Like, hey, you're gonna be in a community. You're gonna serve. And then lastly, you're saying yes to accountability. Meaning, hey, I, I wanna give my life here and I, and I wanna serve Jesus here. And if I ever hit the rails, I want someone to call me out. That's, that's basically what you're saying. And how do you become a member? You feel, and this is why I say it's the easiest time. Uh, in the future, there's gonna be classes, there's gonna be mission and vision talks, there's gonna be one-on-ones and all that. For, for this time only to onboard, this is how we, we kind of work in our church. Um, we'll have, hey, you can apply, you can fill out this application. Um, we'll call you, we'll talk to you, we'll make sure all is well. And then in a month, we'll have a massive, massive install. And it'll be the easiest time at our church. If you would say, hey, I want to agree with that and walk with this church through that. Now, here's what I wanna do. I wanna get back to this family part. 
Family is built on commitment, not convenience. Um, family language is always sweet to talk about. It's always fun. Until you, you know, your family's arguing you know, at Thanksgiving Day and everyone's yelling at each other and there's bitterness and no one will attend anything. It's built on commitment. Here's, here's why. There's two reasons this is important. Relational depth does not happen until you're in a situation that you don't escape, right? In marriage and family, until you'd say, hey, I'm going nowhere. That's when real change happens. That's when chiseling happens. That's when God conforms us. When you're with a people and you'd say, hey, I'm not going to escape. Number two, this is why it's important. Storms do not text you the day before. They never have. And here's what happens oftentimes. Some people will say, man, the church did nothing. Didn't get a phone call, didn't get flowers, pastor didn't visit me, whatever the case is. And I'll always ask the question, did they know? Did you walk with them? Because oftentimes when you go through a storm, the investments you make in your life and throughout your life, those will be the ones that are able to carry you through the storm. It's in Romans 14, verse one, it says this, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. So I'm gonna talk about two things here. The first one is this. Um, I am going to dare you, double dog, double dog, dare you next week as we do a serve team fair. The spot in your life that you have had the most spiritual injury to serve in. And here's what I mean by this. You grew up in a broken home. You didn't have mom or dad, and you just have a massive wound there, and God's brought a lot of healing, I would dare you to serve in our kids' ministry, and you'd say, hey, not on my watch. If you've come to church for years, and you feel like no one welcomes you, and everyone's mean and distant, I would just dare you, hey, serve on our welcome team. How about you would say, hey, where I have needed the most help from God, I'm gonna serve in that way. Or you'd say, hey, guess what? I wanna, I've always had a struggle with biblical accuracy and teaching. Hey, how about you lead a community? How about you'd say, hey, for the first time, I'm not just gonna hear about it. I wanna do something instead of just being theory. I wanna be practice. And for some of you, hey, I've been talking about them family cards forever and you're like so annoyed about it and you still haven't picked one up that you would grab one and say, hey, guess what? I'm going to grab this. I'm gonna do something with my faith, right? And here's how I wanna talk about this as well. When you have a family of faith and you bring everyone together, it's, it is, as I said when we started, it's a beautiful, beautiful mess, isn't it? You bring different people, you bring different backgrounds, different beliefs, and in 539, we carry no denomination and no affiliation, meaning, hey, we're, we're non-denom. But he, here's what I wanna talk about just for a brief moment is this. And I'll just read, this is part of our statement, that 539 is full of people from many denominations and previous church experiences with our diverse backgrounds in mind, we believe in essentials and unity and non-essentials liberty. There are truths of our faith that are non-negotiable in some traditions where we may have to lovingly disagree. And I'll say it this way, that we desire a diverse family. I mean, if you think about the disciples of Jesus, they were centered around the mission and vision of Jesus. And you have a very diverse bunch I mean, right, and they're centered around, we wanna be centered around truths of God's word. But hey, no matter what background you come from, affiliation you come from, we'd say this, hey, we want a diverse family of faith. Let me end with this quote uh, for you guys. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor in 1930s in Germany. 
And there was a tremendous religious and political uh, you know, tension going on at this time with Hitler and who he was leading. And pastors had a resistance to the regime and what was taking place. And they said, we need stronger training for the upcoming generation. And Bonhoeffer started an underground seminary during this time. He demanded a serious level of commitment to his students. And they asked him, hey, is this necessary? Why are you, so, why are you pushing such a strong commitment? They were suspicious of too much spiritualism or it becoming legalism. And Bonhoeffer, what he did was he took his friend who asked him this question on a trip, and he took him up a hill, and on the top of this hill, you could see the Nazis training on this side, and you could see the seminary on this side. There's thousands and thousands of, ar- of people in this army training, and there's this little seminary with about 50 to 75 people, and he looks at him, looks at him, this is what he said. He points at the seminary, he says, this must be stronger than that. The commitment to Christ and the discipleship of the church must be stronger than our commitment to anything else for spiritual formation. Would you guys stand and let us pray this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you how you guide us. And Lord, we thank you that you don't leave us wandering on how to walk in our faith and where you have us. And Lord, I'm so thankful that we've gotten to be here this morning. It's so so good. It's like you knew what you're doing when you've called us to gather the first day of every week. And God, as we get to be here, so Lord, would you, would you help us to know where we are in our faith journey? Would you help us to take next steps that honor you? And Lord, would you speak to us in a profound and personal way? We pray this in Jesus' name, all God's people said.